Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cara, acne can be tough. Whether your kid is just starting to get breakouts or has been struggling with them for years, there's a great product that can help. Phyla is the ultimate game changer. It tackles acne right at its root cause, rebalancing the skin's bacteria and packing it with probiotic phages. Phyla harnesses the superpowers of probiotics, tiny warriors targeting and wiping out the acne-causing bacteria. In studies, Phyla slashed acne-causing bacteria by a whopping 90%. Phyla doesn't just fix acne you can see. It stops new breakouts in their tracks. It has no harsh chemicals and won't irritate or dry most skin. Phyla's three-step system is like a dermatologist-approved magic potion. Cleanse, apply serum, and moisturize twice a day. As a special treat for our listeners, you can grab 25% off your first order of Phyla. Head over to phylabiotics.com, enter code PUBERTY at checkout, and kickstart your family's journey to acne-free skin. Check out the link in our show notes for quick access. Hi, I'm Cara Natterson. And I'm Vanessa Cole bennett Each week, we dive into the what and how of raising kids through puberty, that roller coaster of physical and emotional shifts for kids and parents alike. Combining reliable science and relatable parenting strategies, we will all learn about, laugh about, and yes, maybe even cry about adolescence, ours and theirs. On the Puberty Podcast, we talk about all of the transformations that take a human from being a kid to a reproductively mature adult. But we also talk about all of the adjacent topics like emotional and social shifts, because those are deeply, deeply impacted by the very same hormones that govern puberty itself. So under this enormous umbrella of puberty falls an incredibly important topic of healthy relationships, and particularly a subtopic of healthy romantic relationships. I love this conversation that you're about to hear so much because it guides parents and all of the adults raising kids through the path of navigating healthy relationships. And as it turns out, not just relationships between and among kids, but adults can use the same lens to look at relationships that they're involved in as well. Abella Onyema is the Director of Digital Content and Partnerships at the One Love Foundation, which is the national leader in educating young people about relationship health. She is thoughtful. She is experienced. She is educated in all of the issues that surround the topics that she teaches and speaks about. I can't wait for you to listen to what she has to say. Hi, Abella. Hi. So I have a story. I know, shocking listeners. I never have a story. Wink, wink. I was working with some educators at a school yesterday and was walking down the hall and I saw a group of girls smiling and sort of confidently strolling down the hallway in their one love sweatshirts. No. And I was like, this is a sign. This is a sign. (laughs) It was so, and I wanted to stop them and be like, do you know that we're going to interview them tomorrow on our (sighs) podcast? But I knew that was like the absolute worst thing to say to a group of 16 year old girls. No, I wonder what they would have said. They may have been excited. So it was um it was very cool and I will send the school our episode when we're done cuz they're very very proud of their work with One Love. So I will that's do that. That's incredible. Oh, that feels so good. 
it was kind of exciting. So for people who don't know about you and what One Love does, can you give them a little bit of background? Absolutely. Well, my name is Abella and I am a, a trained social worker and I work at an organization called the One Love Foundation. And One Love is really special in that it was really born out of tragedy. Um, and I'm just really proud to be associated with a family and an organization that has tried to make sense out of something that didn't make sense. So a woman by the name of Jarley Love was murdered by her ex-boyfriend about three weeks before she was supposed to graduate from University of Virginia. And as the family was going through that experience and as they were sitting um, through the trial, Yardley's friends were testifying and it became clear that all of the friends held some piece. They saw something, they noticed something, but they didn't know exactly what they were seeing. And, um, you know, maybe even if they were asked at the time, they may have said, well, you know, Yardley's ex, mm, okay, he probably has some anger issues or maybe he drinks too much, but they weren't labeling what they were seeing as really the warning signs and then the escalation of abuse. And so this family came together to to start what was originally a, a like a kind of a small operation that's now turned into a national organization dedicated to helping young people understand the signs of unhealthy relationship before it becomes abuse. Because not every unhealthy relationship will become abusive, but every abusive relationship starts unhealthy. So Let's just jump in to some definitions then, because I think it will help people to understand what healthy means and what unhealthy means or looks like. Can you walk us through the distinction? Yeah. So one of our key pieces at One Love are the 10 signs of a healthy relationship and 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship. And everything that I'm going to say to you guys can be found on our website, joinonelove.org. Everything that we do is available for free. But the 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship are things like intensity, when someone expresses very extreme feelings and over-the-top behavior, uh, or manipulation, when someone tries to control your decisions. Isolation is a big one, when someone keeps you away from your friends or your family or other people. Belittling, I think we know, is unhealthy, right? When someone does or says things to you that makes you feel kind of bad about yourself. But you might not think of possessiveness. Because some of these behaviors are glamorized. We see them in television. It's like, ooh, they're jealous. That means they like me. That means, you know, they're, they're if it's a guy, they're manly or whatever it is, right? But possessiveness is actually when someone is so jealous to a point that they try to control who you spend time with and what you do. And that is not sexy or desirable. That is unhealthy. And so a lot of our work is kind of busting these socially accepted uh, or at least common behaviors and, and really giving people language to say, that's not love, that's not healthy, and this is what I deserve. And so what healthy is, is trust and independence and comfortable pace and fun. And I think fun is such an important one because when someone is in the throes of an unhealthy relationship, to just pause and be like, are you having a good time? This doesn't look fun, right? This can be a disruptive and helpful question to ask. So we have these 10 signs and we think that they're helpful in really breaking down what the red flags are, but then also what we can aspire to in our relationships. Such an amazing point, the romanticization of mm -hmm. some of these warning signs, you know, and there's a gray zone, right? There's sort of this, it, you're describing the ends of the yardstick so beautifully and clearly. And then there's this middle sort of muddled area yeah. where um, it can be hard for young people, older people to kind of distinguish. Do you have tips about how people can kind of figure out what general direction they're going in or how to assess a relationship. Is that a process that you want them to do on their own, digging deep? Is it a process you want them to do with other people asking their friends and their social network mm -hmm. around them? You know, sort of what are, what are some ways through figuring out whether you fall into unhealthy or healthy? Absolutely. Well, when you talk about bringing people along, yes, yes, yes. We call it the three Ps, peers, parents who are a trusted adult, professionals, right? That we live in community. You have a whole network. You want your young person to know you have a whole network of people around you that you can call upon. 
if you're a parent and and that relationship isn't there, right? Maybe they don't feel comfortable. Okay, where's an aunt? Where's a teacher? Uh, who are your friends, right? So you definitely want to call in your community to support your young person. And that's not just when the relationship is looking bad. That's all the time, right? And I know that we'll we'll get to that in a second, but community network, super, super important. I think something else that's really important is because you're right, there are so many unhealthy behaviors that are glamorized on television. What One Love does is that we have like this whole library of content. So I don't know how easeful it would be for you. You'd be like, oh, hello, child. Like, let's go <laughs> join onelove.org and like watch these videos. But at least teachers and in schools, they get to use them. But we want to create content that is purposefully designed to show healthy behaviors, purposefully designed to show the unhealthy, right? So I'll just say that so that it helps you identify, well, what's the spectrum? What are what are we seeing? How do we break it down? So I think that's why our content's really helpful. But for the most part, we're living our lives, we're out in the world, and there is a big spectrum on what these behaviors are. And so, you know, what we talk about a lot is how does that make you feel? Mm. Trust your gut, right? Is a, a phrase that we use a lot at One Love. So for someone, if they start talking to someone and they're texting every morning and they're texting all throughout the day, that might feel so good and fun and you love it. Great. For someone else, that feels really intense and smothering and you don't like it. Okay, good. Listen to that. But you might not listen to that because your friend who also started talking to someone around the same time is loving it. And so you think, well, I should probably love it too, but you don't, right? So mm-hmm. you get to decide what feels good to you, what behaviors you like, and what behaviors you don't. And then what's hard for all of us is that you then need to communicate that to the person yeah. on the other side of you. And it can change. So you oh, can absolutely. feel great about it yep. at one moment and then in the future not feel great about it. Absolutely. So I want to dig into that a little bit. First of all, for clarity's sake, for those of you who have not listened to our episodes on hookup culture and vocab lessons for the OG, talking does not mean talking. Talking <laughs> means texting, snapping. It doesn't necessarily mean actually speaking face-to-face <laughs> or even on the phone with somebody else. So that's a clarification. But I want to dive into this concept of trusting your gut because mm-hmm. we know that we say that to kids on the one hand, and yet there are kind of innumerable situations throughout a given week or a given year where we're actually giving kids the other message or teens the other message about not trusting their gut, about suppressing their instincts, about ignoring some signs that maybe they should be aware that something's going on. So it's like stranger danger. And yet we've been telling our toddlers for years to say hi to every person on the street. And all of a sudden we're like, don't talk to strangers. And teens have a similar thing. You're so dramatic. You're overreacting. Oh, come on. It's not such a big deal. Mm -hmm. How do we fix that? Like, what's the messaging around that? Yeah, yeah. There's so many ways that we do message that. I get to be in conversation with young people all the time and you will talk to them about maybe they're in a hookup situation or maybe they're texting with someone and something will happen. They will clock it, they'll register it, but they'll talk themselves out of it. Why? Oh, I want to be nice. Oh, I didn't want to embarrass the other person. It would be awkward if I said something, right? And there, all of it is indicating that I don't have permission to show up as an authentic person. I don't have permission to express what I need. And I also don't trust that the person on the receiving end of my boundary will welcome it, will receive it. There was this amazing piece in the New York Times called, I think it's something on the lines of, for years I consented to touch I did not want. Mm-hmm. And the author said that what if when someone expressed a boundary, we taught people to say, thank you for taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. right? That we talk so much about saying express boundaries, express boundaries, but we don't really talk about how do you sit on the receiving end of someone's no? It sucks. You wanted to do something. They didn't want to do it. They said no. So how do you then, you know, not have like an ego crisis and, and say, thank you for taking care of yourself. I say all that to say that there's a lot of reasons why we don't trust our gut because we don't know how. And we also don't trust that if we do do the thing that we truly want, we'll be received well. You know, the other piece, and I've I've talked about this before, Vanessa, but in the context of this conversation feels really relevant. The instinct is learned. That That's another piece of it, right? So we have a gut reaction to something, but it's informed by all of these 
experiences that we've had over the course of our lives. And so it becomes very, very important for the adults in the lives of tweens and teens to teach them that's your instinct and Mm -hmm. honor it, right? To see it and understand it. And I never really understood the profundity about it until my kids were in grade school and a woman came to speak and she had worked with the FBI for many, many years. And she talked about these implicit biases that we have and these instincts that we have. And she talked about them and said, don't kid yourself. Those are learned and reinforced on a daily basis. And Mm -hmm. she used the example of if you're walking down the street and you see something on the side of the street that you're walking down that feels uncomfortable to you, okay? Your gut instinct is to get away and to cross the street, whatever might be going on. And she said, your kids who are young at the time do not have an instinct about it. So they are learning from your behavior Mm, of crossing the street. And if you can put words to it and say to them, I'm crossing the street because this doesn't feel safe to me, you are now teaching them how to name their instinct. And I feel like in the context of this conversation, it's so important because the world does socialize us to see some of these behaviors that are not so healthy as healthy initially and giving language to not just kids, but other adults Mm -hmm. about, you know what, your instinct is this, and this is why it's so helpful. And at the very least, it's a conversation, right? Absolutely. And I was thinking about how what you said about being able to hear a no and receive a no Mm -hmm. and what role trusted adults can play in modeling that, right? Because we Mm -hmm. don't only want the kids who are able to say no. We also want to raise the kids who are able to hear no. Yes. And I don't mean that like, no, I don't want to clean my room, but (laughs) no, I don't feel like hugging you right now or no, stop tickling me or no, this conversation's making me uncomfortable, right? Like I think we can model for them both sides of it. And I, I always skew partially, I think because I'm a woman and I've done so much work around girls and their physical and emotional safety that I I always skew towards the like consent, self-protection, giving voice. But I think it's really critical that we teach all of our kids about hearing other people's, you know, needs and preferences and, and requests. If you listen to enough of our episodes, you'll hear us preach the importance of air, particularly down there. Airing out body parts reduces sweatiness, stinkiness, and skin irritation. And it feels amazing to air it all out after a long day in tight, sweaty clothes. Which is why we created the Oom Short. Super soft, lightweight, with wide legs and a low crotch. All help air flow. Designed for all genders in all sizes, literally down to kids extra small and up to men's extra large. Everyone who wears them tells us they've never been so comfy. Get your shorts at myoomla.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cara, lately I have been lying awake at night. I'm physically exhausted, but I can't sleep because my mind is so wired with everything going on between work and my family. So I've added magnesium breakthrough to my nightly routine and it actually helps calm my mind. It helps me get better sleep and I wake up feeling better rested. I'm less cranky and I'm more patient with my family and with you. Oh, I've noticed. And it's because unlike other magnesium supplements that might give one or two formulations of magnesium, magnesium breakthrough has seven 
That's why you're sleeping so well and waking up refreshed. Now, dietary supplementation is always best, Vanessa. So that means eating your minerals and vitamins is the best way to get them in. But if you can't or you don't get enough, magnesium breakthrough is the way to go. It can also help digestion, though too much helps your digestion too much, which is not a good thing. It can support muscle recovery. So bye-bye, Charlie Horses. And it helps build dense bones, which is especially important for women approaching and in menopause. We have an exclusive offer for our listeners. You can go to buyoptimizers.com slash puberty, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com slash puberty. And you can use the code PUBERTY10 during checkout to save 10%. That promo code is PUBERTY10 at buyoptimizers.com slash puberty. Your body and brain and family and business partner will thank you. Vanessa, we literally have three minutes to eat lunch every day. I am not joking. And the challenge is how to make it delicious and healthy and still fit into that tiny window. Our answer is Factors Ready to Eat Meals. They have been a godsend. We throw our factor meals in the microwave. It takes two minutes and out comes a gorgeous, fresh, never frozen meal. We both love the tamale vegetarian one. It's delish. There's a ton of options every week. There's 60 add-ons, breakfast, snacks, beverages. I love doing the wellness shots with my kids. They think it's hilarious. And I know they're getting vitamins and minerals in their bodies. So get meals on your table or at your desk in two minutes or less. Factor meals eliminate the hassle of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. You can customize with flexibility to get as much or as little as you need, and you can press pause or reschedule depending upon your lifestyle. So to order, go to factormeals.com slash puberty50 and use the code puberty50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That code is puberty50 at factormeals.com slash puberty50 to get 50% off your first box, 20% off your next box. And I am going to go do that right now because I need more factor meals in my refrigerator. Abella, can you just speak for a second to pleasers? (laughs) (laughs) I guess Vanessa is talking and I'm thinking that group is what do you mean that group that group in which we are active members (laughs) right so because I think they deserve a special call out in this conversation so do you have any words of wisdom or thoughts around people who you know they're temperamentally pleasers yeah well who doesn't love being around a pleaser they'll do everything you want them to do right and they'll feel like great that's my reason for being is to please you right so it's like this mutually harmful situation (laughs) But we reward our pleasers. I know that. We I give have, them A's. We, we, we give, give them, them A's. We tell them, oh, you are just, you're not like your brother, right? Like you're my good kid. You're the, whatever. <laughs> like you're just, you're such a, you're just such a, totally. a joy to me and make life easier for me. And that's just fuel to the fire. Like, ooh, yum, right? That's, um, that is stoking the pleasing gene. And so I think that everyone needs to hear you have a right to your no. And something, Carl, that you were talking about is like, you know, intuition, this kind of head knowledge is taught. One of the definitions I love about intuition is that listening to your intuition means not only paying attention what your head thinks, but what your body feels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're a pleaser or not, what does happiness feel like in your body? Where do you feel it? Do you feel it in your fingers, in your toes, in your in your tummy? Like teaching your kids, what does fear feel like in your body? Mm. What is excitement? What is nervousness? I could teach adults that. I mean, absolutely. I need those lessons. Absolutely. Because your body is screaming at you, but your head's like, nope, nope, no, no, no. We're going to do this or we're going to, we're not going to make it stop or we're not Mm going to leave or we're, we're going to keep pleasing because our heads tell us. And we think that the head should be the one guiding when your body is telling you, no, this is what we need right now. But we're not taught to honor that. Whether you're a pleaser or not, I think pleasers should hear this, that, that your, your head and your training and your wiring, you might think that that is the way things should be. But there are other systems, mainly your body, that are telling you otherwise, and you get to honor that. So I feel like we've created a kind of a universe, right? Some parameters and thinking about relationships, healthy, unhealthy, some 
kind of guidelines, I want to dig into some specific scenarios and questions, particularly Mm -hmm. for adults caring for kids. One of the potholes that adults hit is figuring out if their kid or a kid they love or a kid they're caring for is with someone and they don't like that kid. And the question is, do they just not like the kid, <laughs> right? Is the, is the kid just not appealing to them for whatever reason? Or is there some information that's coming to them that's saying, I'm concerned about this relationship. This feels somehow unsafe for my kid. So how do we parse that? Like, how do we handle that as adults without getting in the way of our kids learning how to be in relationships? Yeah. Well, one of the things I love about you two and what you bring to the world is how you really do encourage honoring your kids and their experience. And so again, you don't start doing these things when you're worried about your kid. Mm. If you have a child who is dating, hanging out, because these behaviors, your kid may never encounter an unhealthy or an abusive romantic relationship, but they will absolutely encounter an unhealthy friendship. Absolutely. So these are all questions that you can be asking regardless of where your kid's at dating-wise. But get really curious. What do you like about this person you're seeing, right? And if if you don't like the kid, but your child is saying things like, well, I like this and I like that. And you're just like, all right. I mean, we just have different tastes or whatever. You, you just kind of kind of chalk it up to, to they're making a choice. And that's a beautiful thing about growing up and you get to make choices in some ways. But you want to be asking your child that question, even if you love their partner. Mm. What do you like about them? What do you guys do? You know, are there ever times where you feel confused or or is there anything that you don't like about them or that's weird about dating, right? Because you don't want to just, I think you assume like, oh, they're good. They're happy. It's good. But the person that looks like their relationship is perfect can also be the person that's really suffering behind closed doors. And so to just kind of go back to your original question about how do you know? You get curious. You ask your your child what worked for them in the relationship, what doesn't, how does this person make you feel? And then if the answers feel like, all right, we just might not like the same person, fine. But if you're hearing things that give you some concern, like, well, I don't know, he's they're popular, or I, I just want to be dating someone. Okay, we'll get a little bit more curious. And then as that relationship is going on, you're going to want to look for any changes in behavior. So is your child withdrawing? Are they not doing activities that they used to love doing? Are they not hanging out with people, their friends that they used to love hanging out with? Maybe they are doing some of the same activities, but their performance has drastically shifted, right? These are ways that you can tell, okay, this isn't just, I don't like this kid. Like this kid actually might be having a detrimental effect on my child. I love the framework of using friendship as a practice runway for this because you will 100% many times over in your life be in friendships or work relationships that can be sort of practice for this, skill building for this. And I'm thinking about conversations I've had with my kids over the last few weeks about old friendships that have either shifted or sort of faded away and why. And we started getting curious, what happened? And sometimes when you get curious, you learn things that you never thought to ask and you suddenly go, well, I, I totally don't blame you. I got done, like, totally get it. And then sometimes you get to this nugget of, oh, you're operating based upon a piece of information that maybe you want to look at differently. And when you explore that piece of information differently, it gives them permission to go back to the person and talk to the person. So it's like, it doesn't have to be about romance. And in fact, friendship is a great framework for it. Absolutely. How about when they tell you information that they withheld from you previously oh, about which is a, bunch a relationship? In the gut. It's if you drill down and get curious on that, what you often hear as the adult in their life is, I didn't want to worry you, or I didn't want you not to like the person. Yep. Yes. Or right. yes. How about how about this one that I sometimes hear? You like the person. Yes. And something happened and you're always telling me how great this person is. And I didn't want to burst your bubble and tell you this person Huge. is so great. Huge. So, Abella, let's take that because one of the things that One Love looks at for adults is, 
are you actually unknowingly encouraging your kid to stay in a relationship that they shouldn't stay in? And are they worried about disappointing you by getting out of the relationship? So what role do adults play in kind of consciously or unconsciously keeping kids in relationships that they should actually leave? Yeah. What is the story that you tell about relationships in your home? What do you center a dating relationship? Do you center your child's inclusion in a certain group of friends, right? Like, is that really important to your kind of ego structure as a parent? Like, and when you do that, then you're messaging to your kid that one, being in a relationship is really important and being in a relationship with this particular person is really impressive. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to disappoint, right? And so, or you might not think, I'm not doing any of those things. I'm just being, you know, an encouraging parent. I like this partner that they're bringing around. And I'm trying to show like, yeah, this is this is wonderful. I support your development, right? I'm not, I'm not consciously trying to make sure that my kid's in a relationship. But I think, again, when you assume that everything is great, that your child's relationship is wonderful, and you say things to that effect, like, ah, oh, you guys are just so cute, or oh, I just love seeing you so happy. You never ask, are you happy? Mm. Are you great? Right? You know, and you ask those questions and the answer is yes, then wonderful, right? I celebrate that. But hey, just want you to know, if it ever changes, I'm with you, not with this relationship, Right. Okay, so I'm guilty of that for sure, right? And and my kids, to their credit, have been able to articulate that with me, that I, <laughs> I tell them how they seem instead of ask them how they are. Yeah. Um, and I'm working on it. Yeah. But can we go to a version, a flip side, a version of a flip side of this, which is sometimes when I ask them how they are, they will take language that they have heard from the world around them And I think sometimes misappropriate it, or they might want to describe something that's not going so well, and they'll use terminology that sets off alarm bells for me because it's language that, you know, is big words and it's almost accusatory and they're being descriptive. They're using the language that they have been taught. They're answering the question, you know, how's it going? Well, it's not going well because this is happening. And I'll use the word manipulation as a good example because I think manipulation, you know, it's the toe into a lot of the harder topics, but there's manipulation and then there's manipulation. And, you know, sometimes kids will use that language and say, I feel like I'm being manipulated. How do we parse the language? How do we help the kids around us and ourselves understand when certain language is being used correctly and when it's being overused or applied to a scenario that doesn't deserve it because words matter. Words matter and yet, I think is what I want to say. Words matter and yet, I think at One Love, we would love if people were using words more. Mm. So manipulation actually is one of our 10 signs of an unhealthy relationship. And whenever I teach a workshop, we go through the 10 signs. They're vital to the success of the workshop. And I tell people, I'm like, I'm not, we're not going through all these 10 words so that you can pass a vocab test at the end. But we're going through them because typically what we hear is that young people using really general language, like, oh, that person's toxic or that's trash or mm-hmm. whatever, or uh, narcissist is a huge one that's going on, which I would I would argue that that would align with what you're talking about, Cara, like using clinical words to right. describe behaviors mm-hmm. that are not actually, you know, not everyone is a narcissist. Um, but, <laughs> really? <laughs> Sometimes it, it feels feel like they it are. Might, it might feel like it. <laughs> that's not, not what TikTok everyone says. is a clinical <laughs> narcissist. And that's important to know. But we would love if more people were using descriptive words to describe behaviors that are happening. Now, if you are concerned that your child is using words carelessly or doesn't know the ramifications of what they're saying, again, get curious. Oh, um, someone's manipulating. Oh, wow. What makes you say that? What, What about their behavior? What are they doing? And then what does it feel like? Man, what does that feel like to be manipulate. Now, you might find out, oh, that's actually not manipulation. But the feeling is real. Mm-hmm. The consequences are, are real. And so again, it's not about a vocabulary test, but what are we working with here? 
Mm-hmm. And then how do we proceed? So if this person that you're talking to or hooking up with or dating feels manipulative, okay, well, what's going on? What about their behavior feels manipulative? How does that make you feel? And you know, what do you want to do about it? Mm-hmm. Should we talk about ways to to deal with it? You know, have you talked to them about it? Oh, you have? And it continues? Hmm. Wow. Well, what are some things that you do value in a relationship? Again, I'll bring back fun because that doesn't sound fun or that doesn't sound respectful or that doesn't sound like they're honoring your independence, right? Like we have these, again, 10 signs of an of a healthy relationship. So what do you want to do about it? And they might say it, nothing. I want to do absolutely nothing. And you say, okay. Mm-hmm. Or they might want to talk about it, but they don't want to talk about it with you or whatever it is, right? Then you start bringing your crew around. You let them express what's happening in the world. You help them make sense of the thing that's happening in their world. And then you help them figure out what they want to do next. What I like about that is we find everybody, kids and adults, struggle with, they kind of know they want to address a situation, but they don't always have the language, right? So we're talking about sort of vague or inaccurate language on the front end. But then on the back end, and they say like, I want to bring it up, but I don't really know what to say. Or I want to bring it up, but I'm worried they're like going to get mad at me. And so the dreaded word role play, we need like another, can you, Abella, can you like come up with a rebranding for role play? Because it's so important. <laughs> but know. like everyone, the minute you say role play, they're like, oh, I want to shut down. Yeah, totally. But with kids, you know, or young adults or teens, and you say like, well, let's practice it. Let's figure it out. And nine times out of 10, when I suggest the language to use, kids are like, I would never say that. Like, I would never use those words. But like, maybe that's a way in. Maybe the way in is like, you are so lame. And so then you can say, okay, well, what would you say? Like, I'm lame. I'm not cool you are cool. What language would you use, right? Like, I like the idea of using that as a as a jumping off point. I do think the self-pathologizing amongst teens, thank you, TikTok, is something to continue to drill down on, right? It's not just about relationships. It's like anxiety disorders and panic attacks and all of that stuff. So the advice that Abella gave about drilling down on relationship stuff is actually language people could use in all sorts of moments when kids are self-pathologizing and using clinical language around stuff that you imagine is probably not a clinical situation, but you still want to validate the kids expressing the feeling. Well, and adults need to check themselves at the door because there's a lot of it that happens. I I think it's so unfair for us to dump it on people under 20 or 25. (laughs) Um, There's, I'd say there's more of it, right? That happens. So time for us to hold a mirror up to ourselves and our own. Are pleasers, do we, is that a clinical term? Do we just, (laughs) do we just commit an offense in the midst of the podcast? Uh, Yeah, I mean, a hundred percent. Okay. Before we wrap a conversation that I could stand forever and ever and ever, I want to turn to people who are in abusive relationships and talk a little bit about the misconceptions that the world has about people. Can you, it's such a big, broad question, but do you think you can share some thoughts? Absolutely. Over one in three women, nearly one in three men, and one in two trans and non-binary individuals will experience intimate partner violence in their lifetime. Those numbers are astounding. Mm. And because they're so big, that tells you that this is not an issue that is specific to a sliver of a population. This issue cuts across class, race, gender, sexual orientation. It doesn't matter if you live in the biggest house on the hill or in the most under-resourced neighborhood. There is intimate partner violence. There's relationship unhealth and abuse happening in your community and maybe based on those stats in your family. So that's number one. Number two, I think that, you know, when we think of the typical narrative, it is a heterosexual couple, the guy's the one behaving badly. And that is a very common narrative. But it really makes it then hard to help people who are in same-sex couples who are in unhealthy situations. One, because there isn't like this general kind of framework for that. So it's like, 
hard to believe that that happens. And like, well, who's the aggressor then? And who, and, and that's weird. And that just doesn't happen. If you can't see it, then you can't help it. And so when you are a young person and you're in that dynamic, you just think that you're alone, that you're the only one experiencing this. And then you're the person who's acting unhealthily towards you uses that as leverage. No one would ever believe you. Where else are you going to go? No one would love you the way I would, right? Like, and these are common things that are said across whatever unhealthy relationship, but they are then, they're just that much more acute in really in relationships that break from our norm of what we think is an abuser. I brought it up before, but the kid that you think is so great and is the star of this and the captain of that could be the one that's unhealthy. There is no like, oh, I'm going to know if my, kid is in an unhealthy relationship because the person's going to look like a monster. Mm. That's not what happens. Right. There's no tell. There's Mm-mm. no tell. There are certainly red flags. There are warning signs mm-hmm. that you can look out for changes in behavior when you're on the receiving end of those unhealthy behaviors. But you don't necessarily know off the bat that you're stepping into a situation with someone who might be hurtful to you. Can we sit in the hardest spot now, which is you have a teen that you love who is in an unhealthy relationship and you want to help them get out of it. How do we do that? What do we do? What do we say? That is the hardest spot. And anyone who's listening who is in it, who has been in it, I just want to honor how hard that is. It's an impossible place to be, mainly because we think that there is some magic sentence that you can say that will make your child leave. And there isn't. Mm -hmm. And that's terrible because you are put on this earth to protect this child and you can't. What you can do is create a context in which when they are ready to leave, they have a safe space to land. What you can do is also talk to them about their safety. So we have what we call safety plans and what we call breakup plans. A safety plan is when someone is in a relationship that is unhealthy, that is abusive, what are things that they can do to stay as safe as possible? And some of those things might be to identify safe spaces at home, school, or work. I've been talking about like these three Ps, peers, parents or trusted adults, professionals, who is the network that your child can call upon? What are the ways in which they can do it? So oftentimes parents will say, you know, with drinking, if you ever find yourself in a situation where you can't get home because your 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 friend is drunk or you're drunk, call me, I'll pick you up, no questions asked, we'll deal with it. Like just, right? You could institute that same thing with your child who you're concerned about. So if you ever find yourself in a situation that doesn't feel safe or you don't feel safe, text me, here's the code word or the code Mm -hmm. sentence that we're going to use, right? Sharing your location, not sharing it with the partner, but sharing it with the parent, the other trusted adults, the peers, right? We know where you are when we need to know where you are. Even things like having a spare set of keys outside the house or somewhere, because oftentimes someone that's unhealthy or an abuser might take your child's keys. And so we don't want that to be a reason why they might have to stay with them because they don't know how they're going to get home or how they're going to get into their house, right? So what are things that we can be doing to make you as safe as possible while you're in the relationship? Part of that safety plan is also brainstorming ways to end that relationship because then there's a whole breakup plan after that. Time of breakup is the most dangerous time in an unhealthy or abusive relationship. It makes sense, right? If an unhealthy relationship is about control, when you want to leave that relationship, your abuser has lost control and then they might escalate behavior. So it's really important to break up safely. And oftentimes, you know, again, we think about people who are unhealthy or abusers as like this monster that came from on high, descended into your kid's life, and then can be plucked out. That person might be in your kid's class. They might be part of the friend group. They might be on the sports team, whatever, right? So you will really have to be thoughtful and bringing your child into this conversation about how do we make the breakup safe? Do we bring in teachers and talk about, okay, can we switch classes? Do we need to switch a locker? Do If you're on a college campus, do we need to switch your work schedule or the route that you take to school? Like, who are we bringing in? Do we need to, the coach needs to know, et cetera, right? Like so all tactical, of these things. Just get tactical, tactical. Yes. About how do we keep you as safe as possible? But again, none of this is going to happen until your child is ready. 
Oftentimes there's a stat that a person will leave, get back together, leave, get back together at least seven times before they leave for good, right? So we see these things happening and it is excruciating to be on the sidelines watching that as a parent, as a friend, but no one leaves until they're ready to leave. And it feels important to say at this point that sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, a parent will see, or an adult who is the caretaker of a child will see an abusive relationship for what it is. And when they go to talk to the kid about it, there's so much shame around it that for some period of time, their communication shuts down and the kid just pushes back against the person who loves them and is caring for them. And so if the adults in the scenario are not able to have productive conversations with the kids they're worried about, it is imperative that they bring in other people who may be able to have those conversations in more productive ways. It doesn't make you a failure as the adult in their life. And oftentimes, I think we underestimate the amount of shame that goes along with someone finding themselves in these relationships. So it does further isolate them and it creates all sorts of other downstream issues. So just, you know, all of this is to say that there is not one way through it. And oftentimes it takes a village for everyone involved. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a real strength if you have a community that can circle around your kid. You don't have to do it all on your own. And I've worked in schools, I've worked in out-of-school settings, and at least when you're in a school, like a high school situation, the free services that are available are much more plentiful than when we're talking about adult survivors, right? Mm. So helping your child get connected with the counselor at school. I've run after-school programs where we did enrichment activities, and there was also counseling that was um, offered alongside. So there are community programs that you can look into as well for your child. You don't have to do this all on your own, and your kid doesn't have to do it all on their own. But you brought up a a word isolation that I really do want to bring up. That is one of the first things that an abuser or an unhealthy partner will do. They will start to isolate you from your community. They'll say things like, oh, your friends aren't your friends. Or your parents, they hate me. They're out to get me. Or your parents don't understand you, right? So we don't get curious about the interiority of our kids. Someone Mm. else will. Mm -hmm. Mm. And they will leverage that to drive a wedge between them and you, them and their community. Mm. They will establish themselves as the only person who understands them. And it will turn your kid's head around. Because as we talked about, that feels good. It feels awesome to have someone that is shining their full light on you and telling you how wonderful you are because you are wonderful. And the world tells you that's the goal. That's the goal. Mission accomplished. That's right. And if that is happening to your child and it's genuine, that's amazing and beautiful. And we celebrate that. But if that's happening to your kid and it is used to control them, I love telling kids love is expansive. And love is a loaded word because like no kid's like trying to fall in love, but love (laughs) is expansive. It's like a balloon that expands and expands and never breaks or a rubber band that never snaps. Anyone who's telling you that there's no room for your friends, no room for your family in the relationship, they are not talking about love. Yeah, it's not a pie, right? It's There isn't a finite resource that you're carving up. No, it is expansive. The limit does not exist, you know? That's right. And it fits all your activities. It fits all your the things that you're going to be curious Mm. about. It fits everything. And someone who is trying to abuse you and control you shrinks your life. Mm. Bella, I'm like so moved by all of the ways that you have named the really challenging and painful situations that adults and kids find themselves in and the positive ways that they can be there for the people that they love. And I think your advice is applicable to so many subjects, not just this one. I'm only going to let you get off. This is, I'm now violating all the principles of one love. So I'm going to reframe my question. Would you please come back another time and talk to us about digital abuse and online violence? Because we didn't have time today, but I do want to get there 
at another point. So we invite you back an open invitation to come back and join us. And we will link to all of the amazing resources that One Love offers. And we encourage people to go to the site to check it out. Is there a place where they can contact someone or is there a way to start a chapter at a school? Is that information all on the on the website? Absolutely. Our dream is that every school is teaching one love in the school. It's just, I think, critical to changing the way that relationships are done. And you can access us through info at joinonelove.org or joinonelove.org. Just go to the website and you'll be able to find us. A real person answers info. So you'll get Grace. And before we let you go, I want to say one thing. I want to give an answer to something that you said at the very beginning of the podcast. You made a comment that kids, you know, this isn't video content or written content that kids necessarily want to go to. And I'm going to say to any adult who's listening, in my own home, this is content that my kids want to go to because Mm -hmm. they are hungry for unbiased information about how to navigate relationships. So I love your humility, but I Mm -hmm. think what you have put into the world is phenomenal Mm-hmm. And I would encourage parents to check it out. Adults who are in the lives of kids, check it out. You know, our favorite way of showing kids something, text it to a kid. Text it to them, yep. Text yep, the yep. link. <laughs> You'll be surprised. They, it, it is phenomenal content. Thank you. Oh man, I really, really appreciate it. I agree. I do agree. So I appreciate you allowing me to brag a little bit about the work that we do and, um, and how it could be useful to people. That's all we want. We just want to get it into as many people's hands as possible because we do think that this is life-saving information. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. We're so grateful. This has been awesome. Thanks so much for having me. A total honor. Thanks so much for listening. You can follow us anywhere you get your podcasts or check out our Instagram at The Puberty Podcast. If you have questions or stories to share, email us at thepubertypodcast at gmail.com. And for more puberty info, check out myoomla.com or dynamogirl.com. Bye. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.